one of the things that I know about myself is, and one of the reasons why I feel confident I can navigate through new challenges is because I'm comfortable, you know, reaching out to other people and leaning on people and I'm comfortable not knowing things and asking for help to get up to speed. So I was comfortable doing that with my staff when I first got there, when they knew way more than I did. And, um, and I make an effort to be a part of different groups. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Lindsay Delorier, co-owner and president of the beloved Bolton Valley Resort. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and Dave Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. Are you a skier or a snowboarder? I am a skier. Skier. Woohoo! One for me, Dave. <laughs> Ooh. All right, we're good. We'll go with the flow. We chill. That's important. That's important. Um, I am because you're not technically the founder of Bolton Valley, which we just discussed. I do want to talk about your childhood, okay. little Lindsay. <laughs> tell us what vibe you were throwing out. Um, well, you know, my childhood, I was was obviously somewhat blessed because I got to grow up at a ski area, which is a pretty fun place for a kid, a lot of recreation and definitely in the winter, extra awesome because, you know, my friends were always coming up and skiing and so it was like fun and lots of night skiing and things like that. Um, on the flip side, you know, there were parts of the year where it was pretty remote. And, you know, you might think living in Bolton Valley, which I do again now um, with my daughter, um, is she'll tell you it feels remote sometimes, even now. But now it's a really vibrant community. Back then, there were not a lot of year-round residents. There was only one other kid on the mountain. Besides, no. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and she was my brother's age, so I had, you know, there was oh. nobody my age. Which, yeah, poor me, poor me. Not really. Yeah. It was still an amazing childhood. And you I'm had amazing. the forest and the yes. birds and <laughs> yeah. the squirrels. Yeah. So were you, do you, would you say you were, like, a pretty creative kid because you had to kind of make your own fun? I was a bookworm. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. So sweet. <laughs> what a nerd. Wow. Yeah. I always thought cool she was so nerd. cool. <laughs> I was a very cool bookworm. I bet you were. <laughs> Still are. It could give us just a little history of the resort and your family's role there and and how long it's been since your return yes. to the mountain, please. Yeah, I would love to. So, you know, you mentioned I'm not the the founder, and the founder is my father. I wasn't born when Bolton Valley was founded in 1966. Um but <laughs> you oh, were born. Yeah, the year Dave was, was born. born. Barely. Yeah. 56 years ago. Nice. Wow. You were a babe in arms. But I, I was a snowboarder yet to be. Right. Yeah. A snowboarder to be. <laughs> um, snowboarding wasn't even invented then. So, sure. yeah. So anyways, yeah. So my dad founded it. Um, and the history actually connects to, to Burlington. Um, my grandfather owned a farm in which is South Burlington like where you Dorset Street the Sheridan Whoa. Staples Plaza like they had hundreds of acres right there they that was their uh, dairy farm the interstate came through and um, the federal government bought up the land that they needed for the interstate split the farm in half um, wow. and uh, but my grandfather was compensated for that with that compensation he bought 8,000 acres in Bolton with the idea that you know they would forest it 
Um, and my dad, who was in his 20s, late 20s at the time, had the idea that they should build a ski area. So my grandfather said, go for it if you can. And my grandfather actually partnered with, you know, Dan Smith from the Vermont Community Foundation. His grandfather was a banker, partnered, got his first loan from Dan Smith's grandfather. And the rest is history. They built Bolton Valley and the Access Road and the village and everything. And then, you know, my brothers and I were all fortunate enough to grow up up there. Then, um, and it was great. My father and his most, you know, my father was the majority owner, but he owned it with his brothers and sisters. There's seven of them. And um, they owned it right through my senior year of high school. And that's when we didn't officially go bankrupt, but, you know. Might as well. <laughs> I was, Oops. How about sold it under duress? Sure, sure. So, um, you know, it was on really real financial hard times. And um, so then I went away to college, and that ended also an era for my family's connection to Bolton Valley. So, in you know, as far as I'm concerned, it was like this moment of incredible change. Um, was what? Was your heart doing at that moment? Was it really hard for you or was it like I'm leaving anyway or? It was really hard. It was really yeah. hard for everyone. Yeah. Um, on like in many, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Which we don't need to go into. <laughs> um, but, you know, also, yes, I also was, you know, embarking on this new adventure of college and adulthood and my own life. And so, you know, in a way, like the transitions overlapping in that, you know, it's really overlapping each other. It probably softened the blow, if anything, because I just went forth into the world, you know. But, yeah, that anchor, you know, that foundation, that home, those roots, everything that I'd always known and identified with was, you know, was was changed and gone in many ways. So, like, you know, coming home and, you know, relating back and going back to Bolton, my father continued to live up there, you know, driving up the access road to return home, you know, different. was so different, yeah. you know. So, um so then it went through a number of different owners, four or five different owners, um, and struggled, you know, frankly. And, you know, the people who did the best with it certainly were Doug and Larry, who we bought it from, from, you know, the par partners, formerly former partners of Redstone, um, Doug Williams and uh, uh, Doug Nettie and Larry Williams. And, um, you know, they did a good job with it. But I think, you know, the reason why they sold it, not that I want to speak for them, is, you know, it's it's like a challenging enterprise and it's not their cent it's not wasn't the center of their lives you know they had other businesses and and this was a side project and it's very it's a hard huge to make project I'm just imagining <laughs> yeah. Doug up snowmaking and I, I just can't I'm sure he'd love to so a <laughs> little easier to may maybe imagine Larry but um but Doug has stayed in actually as an investor with us so he's one of our partners now um and he's awesome so supportive and that's so Just great. Really, well, that was really such a great. brutal period for yeah. a lot of smaller ski resorts around Vermont. I was working in state government at the time, and you know, Scottney and Burke and Haystack, and you know, probably six others. Yeah. Just it was a really tough time in Vermont, where a lot of families that had you know carved these slopes out of out of the hills here um, had real changes. So, so but, and we're seeing that. Sorry, we're, yeah. and we're seeing that consult. You know, obviously. The, the name of the game in the ski industry now is consolidation. And so, you know, you really are seeing that bifurcation between, you know, ski areas that have moved into consolidation and those like us who are really, you know, leaning into the independent ownership and independent spirit. Interestingly, I think, you know, the in, like in a way that consolidation has created some a little bit more space for this independent 
model to also thrive. Mm. Um, it's shifted the way that people like consume skiing. And it's strange. It's like there seems to be more space now. And um, and so I think it's, yeah, people you know, are, if you had to ask me, like, good or bad, you have to pick one side. I mean, I, I think it's it's been good for the industry in many ways. And I yeah. get the loss that people feel, you know, or the or the way, or the, I get the, the conflicted feelings that people have. But um, but I think the ski industry right now is in a really good place. Yeah, it seems to be. And, and can you talk a little bit about your, the community? I mean, who loves Bolton and goes there? Because, like you said, like you, <laughs> you alluded to, everybody. everybody <laughs> Yeah. You know, just you know, I live on the other side of the range, and we're part of the big corporate uh, group. Um, just describe your community that that gets it, loves it. I mean, I think that the thing about the Bolton Valley community is that it's multi generational. You know, so much like my grandfather bought the land, my father built the ski area. We grew up there. Now our kids are up there. Um, it's our obviously, it's our home. Um, and we feel that deep-rooted connection to it, which is a part of what made coming back, which is what made coming back, you know, so special. But it's not just us who have that connection to Bolton Valley or who feel that, like, deep sense that it's their home, that they have roots and family connections there. Because, you know, one of the things my dad did, which was really special when he created the resort was, you know, by putting in the night skiing, he really wanted it to be like the working man's ski area. He nailed it. Yeah, he nailed it. And, you know, because skiing up until Bolton Valley in Vermont, I mean, granted I wasn't there, but this is the story he tells and, you know, I think it tracks, um, was like when he went to Burlington High School um, and, you know, very few people skied. And so he had, it always felt like it was this, a sport for out-of-staters, you know, and that wasn't really accessible to the local Vermonters, to his friends, to the kids he grew up with, the other, you know, other kids with other dairy farms and stuff like that. So when he built it, he really made it his own mission, you know, not only to service out-of-staters, which of course is an important part of the business model, but um, to really, you know, have night skiing so that kids could come up, bus up after school, teach Vermonters to ski, get people to be able to come up after work, you know, and have this kind of tavern scene and make it into a scene. And we're, because we're so close to Burlington and the population center, you know, that model actually works for Bolton Valley in a way that it doesn't or couldn't work just even geographically for other people because there's not time to make it worth it to go up after work. But you can do that at Bolton. So the reason why I, in a long-winded way, sort of circle back to your answer about who the community is, I think that the community started back then with the, with those buses that are now still coming up to Bolton, but now those are the grandparents or the parents of the kids on the buses. And so there's really this, like, it's it's very rooted, you know, re- very rooted in, in, the, in the community. And, you know, we're on, like, our third generation of kids learning to ski at Bolton Valley because, you know, thanks to the after-school program. And so... Um, our community tends to be a lot of people who grew up on the buses and now they've got kids on the buses. That's and great. we kind of, sometimes we lose them in the middle there, you know, between yeah. the growing, you know, like Total after they grow up a temporary, bit. Yeah, right. But, but people come back, you know, they come back. It is. Find their way. <clears throat> the thing that I love about it is it's so accessible. Like it, it just feels like you belong when you're mm-hmm. there. And, you know, I think it's, so many mountains are trending towards inaccessible for a variety of reasons, you know, mm-hmm. cost being a huge driver, but obviously proximity, like you said, you can go and ski after work at Bolton. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I find really cool about it, besides being super welcoming is I, you know, I remember moving to Burlington and people saying, Oh, it's a, it's a, 
grew great local mountain, you know, really family friendly. But the thing that I've noticed too is it's still the favorite of some of the most intense skier and snowboarders I know. For sure. You know, I think there are mountains where people who are, you know, been skiing their whole life are like, oh, like that mountain's too lame for me. I'm so good at skiing. <laughs> Bolton doesn't have that at all. Like yeah. truly, I feel like it just appeals to everyone. I agree with you. And I think that, you know, I mean, I think about my two oldest brothers who were, you may or may not know this, um, people like they're old enough now that people don't know about it anymore, but you probably remember. I probably do. (laughs) I I still have the, uh, right. The uh, the DVDs or whatever. Right. But you know, my, my older brothers were some of the best skiers in the world. Um, and some of the early pioneers of extreme skiing and what we think of now as big mountain skiing. And, you know, they learned to ski at Bolton Valley. So, Bolton Valley is a training ground and and creates great skiers, um, not just because we're on the ice coast, but because Bolton Valley has always been a pioneer for woods and glades and backcountry skiing. And and I think that's where, you know, people who are really rad skiers, really advanced skiers still find a home, even though Bolton Valley is, you know, really forward facing is family friendly and it is, and it's like the best place to learn and all this stuff. Um, Yeah, you know, you can you can really challenge yourself in the glades at Bolton Valley and particularly with our backcountry program, which my brother Adam has really spearheaded and developed and is totally on the cutting edge of the ski industry. I mean, really, truly, like we are cutting edge in terms of our backcountry program. Um, and, you know, so so we really have we really have that to offer in a way that that I, I think no one else in Vermont and no aspersion. I can see why it's not worth their while, while from a dollars and cents. But again, that's where sort of the independent right, or culturally comes, they don't. You know? Yeah, I mean the, the backcountry uh, experience and pass and and the investment you've made into that is is like you said is leading yeah. the, the industry in yeah. that. And, and that's what Vermonters want, right? Like that. I think that's a. One of the things that I've noticed, and granted, I, I wasn't around the first go around, but it's so clear that you listen to your customers on mm-hmm. what they want and try to provide that. And I feel like you've done a beautiful job of reacting to what people want. And like, I don't think other mountains can do that, maybe because they're bigger or, you know, the corporate sort of structure of it just doesn't allow for that. But I don't know. I think that to me is is a big piece of sort of the magic. That means a lot to hear that. And I think, you know, in the experience of planning and and innovating and talking about, you know, how we do things, a big part of how we're, you know, in addition to listening to the guests and, you know, being part of the community generally, we also love the things we do. And I think, you know, like we are skiers, my brother wanted to create the backcountry program not because he like sat down and ran a spreadsheet or anything or like made a big pitch, but he was like, he's been a guide. He's traveled all over the world guiding and backcountry skiing. And so we bought back Bolton Valley. He's like, it's got this amazing backcountry. How do I want to spend my days? I want to spend my days in the backcountry. I'm going to create this guiding program. Like a lot of what, and like the mountain bike park that we created, which is so awesome, was kind of my pet project because, you know, I love mountain biking. Like after I went away, after college, I went out west and you know, really got into mountain biking. And, um, and so there were these amazing trails like that were, you know, really rowdy and raw and like just intense and not accessible to everybody. And it felt like, wow, we should have mountain biking right here in the backyard. Cause that would be so fun. So I think like, you know, we're listening to the community, but we're also such a part of it. And we, we also get to do the things that we like. And I think if we're doing the things that we like and we enjoy, 
probably it that's so a much good more authentic for and, other people. Like yeah. probably other people would enjoy that. Totally. You know, too. So we get to be driven both by that and also just by the things that we love, you know, as well. Yeah. So no one in the family is a snowboarder? Um, my nephew, Henry. Nephew. Okay. Yeah. Now we're like, like <laughs> no, way no, out there. No, no. Adam's son. He lives next door to me. Oh, so. Ne- okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, Thank so you. Sorry. Cousin, I had to go back yeah, to nephew that. Nephew Henry. So. Invested in the next generation. Age 17. Perfect. The right. Delorier snowboarder. Okay. Good. Good kid. <laughs> gotta, have, gotta have one in the family. <laughs> totally. Um, so, okay. So how many years was the gap between? It was 20 years. Exactly. 20 years. Okay. So yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about what you got when you bought it back? Like what did things look like? What was sort of the, you know, damn, we really got to take care of X, Y, and Z. What was sort of keeping you up at night? Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't, let's just say you didn't buy it because it was an easy win here, right? No, I mean, you know, to be honest, it had been losing money for many years. I don't know if in the 20 years, maybe there were some years where it didn't lose money, but I think by and large, you know, it wasn't making, it, it was not in the, it was not in the black. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a heart driven decision for sure. Um, and very risky, definitely. And our initial investors who, you know, came in with us on the purchase, um, they also did it out of a love, you know, out of a love of the place. Um, and, a, and a belief that if anybody could make it work, it would be us and our family because of our connection to it, because of our commitment, because it would not be a side project. It would be all eggs in the basket, you know what I mean? Um, and just the institutional memory and knowledge of pipes in the ground that my dad brings is actually, believe it or not, really That's valuable. important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where's the stuff like, buried? Where's yeah. the stuff buried? Because there's a lot buried. It's true. That's like, hilarious. So what kept me up at night more than anything? Yeah was literally the pipes in the ground. The water system was totally failing at the time. Terrifying. Um, so when we bought it, um, the drinking water system, uh, we also own the water company, the drinking water system was not supporting, and it serves all the residents, not just the ski area. So everything. Everybody up there. Yeah, yeah, the whole community. So it was, there wasn't enough water to serve the community. There, It turned out that we weren't sure what the exact cause was. It was the wells were drying, it was this, that. But the leaks were so bad. The wells were running 24 hours a day, seven days a week, had been for years. I don't know if you know anything about aquifers. That's not good. And um, so the wells were strained. The leaks were terrible. The reservoir was n- couldn't keep itself full. They were trucking water up to meet the water oh demand. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is giving me. And, it, it was, and the cost of trucking water was more than the entire rate base of the water company. So the water company was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging. And furthermore, just to make matters more complicated, the water company as a private utility is regulated by the Public Utility Commission, which means you can't set or raise your rates without going through a rate case, which is like a very long regulatory process of over a year. You thought you were going to get in the ski business, (laughs) didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is, the thing about the ski business is it's, it's like all the business, oops, is it's all the businesses. You know, this, the ski business, what's so unique about it is you, is it's like 20 businesses um, in one, you know, it's, it's civic, civic, civil planning. It's like real estate. It's, it's, it's everything. That, yeah. Yeah. So the water was the greatest risk. Um, I was not going to guess that. Yeah, no, people don't, <laughs> people don't, but, um, but we've stabilized the water company. And to be honest, that's one of the things that I feel most proud of. Um, 
Yeah, and there's never a headline about that, right? unless it, unless it goes wrong. It's one of these like quiet victories. Well, that, that's yeah, that's what sucks. It's like who do you? Ce- I mean, sure, your team obviously celebrated that win, but like, yeah, the uh, Joe Schmo going for a ski doesn't know what you just right, right, did. Right, right. The PSI works. Yeah. Um, no, but it's awesome, and um, no, it feels that that feels really gratifying. It, you know, that really feels like it saved you know not just Hysteria but the community. What what gives you the greatest joy on a daily basis? Well, if you ask my dad that question, he answers that, you know, his thing is the kids getting off the school bus. And I know I shouldn't, you just ask me about myself, but I'll just talk about my dad just as the founder. And um, and I know it's true. I mean, you see my dad talking to the kids and uh. you can see why the first thing he did was after school program. He's like a child whisperer and the kids, they love him so much and he loves them so much. So I can tell you that that's what has always, I think, more than anything, driven my dad. And it's kind of similar for all of us. Um, when I first took the job, prior to this, I had been a lobbyist. And so I was, like, working in, Mont- in state at the state level in Montpelier and stuff. And um, Matt Barowitz, who um, is – I'm not going to remember his title. But he, like, runs all the – crunches all the numbers, you know, for the state. Um, he's, like, the state – He's an economist for the state. I'm sure if he hears this, he's going to be like, what the heck? But I bumped into him. Like, he's like, why are you mentioning <laughs> we, me? We could this? try to this edit in so a title weird. here. Yeah, yeah right. Like, why yeah, don't find you know the actual title because yeah. I can't remember. But, um, no, he's amazing and brilliant. But, anyways, I bumped into him outside, like, in the parking lot of, you know, National Life Building, like, a year in or something. And it was just like, oh, it's so good to see you. Da-da. He's like, boy, you know, you just, you got the best job. You must, you just sit around all day thinking, you know, how to make people have fun. And it just really stuck with me that like offhand comment because, you know, like it's so hard and there's like so many like things that you don't think about that go into it and challenges, but really it does just come down to how lucky are we that we get to sit around all day and think about how, you know, how to make people have fun. And so that is really You're such fun. an optimist. Yeah. I'd be like, excuse me, <laughs> sir. I have been trying to get water to hundreds of people. We, we totally could have used that yesterday when our network here was having some issues and we were at like category five stress levels. <laughs> totally. Um, so one of the things that I have talked to you about before, and I think you just have such a unique view because there's so many areas that you need to focus on, but hiring. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a seasonal aspect, you have full time, you have every kind of job under the sun. Can you talk a little bit about how that's been, highs and lows, and maybe some advice for other business owners out there? That is such a hard question. And if I had the answers to it, we wouldn't have the like half the challenges that we have. I mean, really, the last two years have been so hard. With regard to that, Um, hiring has been insane over the last couple of years. Um, I don't know anybody who's got a silver bullet. Even my friends who, you know, some of my friends who are like known for being like the best employers, whatever, and they never have any problems have been having problems. Like the last two years have been brutal. Um, I do think it's easing up now. It feels different. Like we still have like very challenging areas, um, but it just kind of has a slightly different feeling. I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like a a vibe where you can just feel it easing up just a little bit. Um, But, you know, I will say like I think for us, like many, you know, businesses with good reputations or – 
like, you know, whatever. Uh, we have a reputation of being a fun place to work, and we are a fun place to work. And so, you know, there are people who want to work in the ski industry. They want that lifestyle. We're like a lifestyle job. So we benefit from that for sure. But there's a lot of those in Vermont, you know. So right. it's not like we're a total standout. And there's a lot of ski areas in Vermont. Um, so, but then there's also a lot of people, a lot of our staff, have deep personal connections that are rooted in a lot of the things I was talking about earlier. And so a lot of people, you know, come come to work at Bolton Valley because of their own connection to Bolton Valley. Um, so I think, you know, those things really help us. We do our best with wages. You know, I will say, like, we, one of the things we did start to do right when we got there was start to try to bring our wages up the best we could. Very hard to do. Um, especially when you're starting from a point of losing money and you have no runway because you were undercapitalized. So um, harder than it may sound like, um, but we've definitely moved that as fast as we can, um, the best we can, and of course that helps. We've you know done what we can with our benefits package, especially with paid time off, because I think people really value paid time off. And when I was lobbying, I was working on workplace issues, like, in fact, paid sick days and other things like that. And so I was very attuned to, you know, different structures for paid time off. So one of the fun things that I that I did was, you know, shifted instead of having to earn your paid days off, you get them right at the front. So they're just front loaded when you're hired. And I think that's nice because it makes it easy to come to a new job because you don't give up all your paid time off. You can still get a vacation like even right, in your first year and take time. because you can't control when you get sick or when... Or all that. Yeah, or even like... Something or... And the value, of, the value of just taking a break. You're listening to Start Here, a podcast from Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. VSET is a public benefit corporation serving Vermont businesses from start to scale. We provide no-cost strategic business advising for any business owner, regardless of stage or industry, as well as venture capital for early-stage tech or tech-enabled businesses. You can find us online at vset.co. That's V-C-E-T dot C-O. If you like what you're hearing, please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast today. Now, back to the show. You know, also, you know, being able to take a break to go on vacation or, you know, have whatever. So, so we do things like that, you know, the best we can. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, I will say like our managers, some of them more than others, some of them are really aggressive. They go out, they go to job fairs, you know, they, they're salespeople for us. Um, and they do an amazing job, um, recruiting people, um, I guess got to give a shout out to Nick Lemire, who um, is our director of guest experience. He's like a, like, oh, he's amazing. The, he brings so many people to work to work at Bolton Valley. He's a great recruiter. So, you know, you, like anything, you, yeah. you, like, it's your staff, it's your team, um, and you count on them. But it's really hard. Yeah. No doubt. And I, th- I just kind of assume based on what you said and just the nature of the organization that, like, I would feel like there's a lot of room for growth there, right? Like you can kind of get hired in an entry-level position and there's places for you to go within Bolton. For sure, that's true. Yeah, for sure, that's true. Um, Yes, we have a lot of people, a lot of people work their way up through the ranks. In fact, you know, Nick, who I just mentioned, is one of those people um, who's now, you know, like at the senior executive level um, and came in, you know, as a minimum wage worker. 
Um, oh, cool. So, yeah, they definitely have a lot of that, and that's a fun thing if you really want to be in the ski industry for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. No silver. I have no great answers. Yeah. For well, I think the silver bullet it would be employee housing, and we do have some employee yeah, housing. Some, yeah. Um, yeah. I would triple it if I could, yeah. and I think that would really unlock. We we looked into developing a employee housing building, you know, apartment complex up on the mountain, but just with the cost of building right now and very, like, we just, there was, like, I couldn't get it to pencil out, not, e like, even, like, such that we could make up for it. I mean, it was, like, so yeah. out of whack. Even even with the water. <laughs> yeah, right? Even with the water. Even with the know? water. Free water. Yeah. yeah. But employee uh, housing would be the one, would be the winner. So the ski business and resorts are, are so capital intensive, right, both on an operating basis, right, mm -hmm. with the fluctuations of the season, but also the investment into infrastructure and oh, yeah. real estate. So... How have you approached sort of the, the capital path mm -hmm. um, for, for Bolton's? Um, any insights on that that might be relevant for other businesses or sectors? Yeah, I mean, that's right. Well, I mentioned, you know, in an offhand way that when we first made the purchase, we were really undercapitalized, and that's because of the capital investments that were needed to address not just the water, but the other infrastructure issues that I didn't mention, but that, you know, were also many. Um, <laughs> we try not to get people to cry on the front end of things. Yeah. We, we used to have tissues here, but the last the last podcast went through them all. Well, I hope we can get to the like to the second part of the story where it's like we're doing amazing now. Yes. We've shorted up. We're doing this is all set up. Yeah, yeah. this is all set up for the for the victory lap. But no, um, so yeah, the operation wasn't you know wasn't um, wasn't breaking even when we took over. So there was going to be no you know, extra cash flow to fund capital projects. We also were 100% unbankable um, because it had been losing money for a long time. We were a new enterprise. Um, so we did a capital raise. We brought in equity partners. Um, and that was really successful for us. You know, we basically figured out a plan um, of what we felt it would take to not, to basically shore up and stabilize the business and bring it to profitability. So we developed a master plan for that, um, and then I just went on the pitch circuit and pitched my heart out, and it took a couple of years. Um, but we raised, you know, we raised the money we needed to be able to make the capital improvements. We also really focused on the operation, on operating efficiencies and, you know, other strategies. And even before we made the capital investments, I'm really happy to say we were able to stabilize the company and, you know, bring it to, like, you know, profitability, kind of a break even, but, you know, to where it could support itself while we made the capital investments. That Within we a couple of years? Yes. Yeah, and that's shit. no small feat. That's, that's insane. It's yeah. like a big deal. That's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that through, you know, really focusing on the operate on the operation and, and just improving the operation. Because, look, we had all the pieces there to make it successful. You know, we had a our pass holder base, we have, you know, people who love us, who, you know, we have business. Um, we just had to, like, balance the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and again, <laughs> a lot of history, a lot of time. It yeah. takes a bit to, to undo it, and you had the terrain. And we had to do things like some of the first investments we made, if you remember, was those RFID gates. Mm -hmm. You know, Bolton Valley, interestingly, like, because they didn't have any gates or ticketing system, you know, they sold the old Wicket tickets. Um 
essentially people felt that they could just ski at Bolton Valley without paying. And everybody thinks, oh, well, the chairlift is running, so what's one more person? What's this? What's that? What's that? You know, it's not like a product I'm taking and eating and, like, consuming yeah. so I can hold it and touch it and feel it. I'm just sitting on something that's bringing me up the mountain. But that is the product. And so if if if, if we were if, – if we didn't capture that revenue that was there from the demand that was there, if we were just letting people have it for free – you know, then we were going to fail, keep failing. And so, you know, one of the things that we really focused on was just getting paid for the service that we provide. Um, that was like the very Some low-hanging fruit right the there. Low, so it was like, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. And we right. would just talk about, like, where's the low-hanging fruit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you did that with the backcountry access, too, which, yep. you know, never used to have sort of the expectation to contribute or purchase That's in right. between. And I think that was, uh, and there's always some people that gripe and moan of about course. it. I've been doing it forever. Well... Yeah, but there's a cost to yeah. us to to yeah, you know exactly. to groom it and to do all the things. So, so yeah, so we focused on a lot of low hanging fruit. We focused on efficiencies. We you know reorganized the staffing, the team, and you know built the right team. Da da da. All the things that you would do, and and so we stabilized the business through through the um, just through you know smarter operations, and then we went to the capital raise and we raised some money through through building equity partners. We've got a group now of incredible just just a list of amazing people, um, all of whom, you know, become, or most of whom, some of them were pretty absentee, I don't see all, all of them, but most of whom have become the you know, best really ones. good personal friends. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then we started to make those, those capital investments in things like snowmaking, which is maybe in the background, but you definitely feel the effects of it. Obviously, the bike park was a big one. We did a hotel renovation. We've done sort of small renovations this year, you know, we've replaced the roof on the sports center. We're doing a roof replacement on the base lodge. So a lot of this stuff is like pure infrastructure. But a lot of this, a lot of it too, was really designed toward um, focusing on summer business. So we bought the ponds. Now we're running the weddings out of the ponds, which we weren't doing before. We'll start that this summer. This is our first summer. Fingers crossed. Everything goes smooth. Ooh. We've got the mountain bike park. Um, again, the hotel renovation. A lot of skiing infrastructure stuff. And... Um, and you know now we're we're over the hump from breaking even, and you know we're we're in a stable position. And there's still so much more to do that the infrastructure needs, but we've spent through the capital. So now, you know the the free cash flow that we have, we're recycling back into capital improvement projects. Um, and so we're now we're kind of in this space, and we are bankable. Yeah. And right. So now we're yes. kind of we're kind of like. Off I was and hoping she now. was going to say that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So now we're kind of Again, no small feat for yes. a ski resort. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, particularly one with a lot of history, and you know, and and that is the future isn't built in one day. Right. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Six years. It's, Just yeah, kidding. Six years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's kind of true about that, right? Because we've had a bunch of. The, the dealer.com and others that, you know, we all think, that, oh, it was an overnight thing. They're like, well, yeah, it was eight, ten years of overnight right, exactly. success. Yeah. So. It feels sudden, but, yeah, no, it's been, you know, it's been a grind. But it's it's definitely, there's still a lot of things that that need to be focused on. There's still, there's real challenges remaining, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but... We're definitely kind of in the fun, more more of the fun part now. You have some breathing and, room, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's not like putting fires out constantly. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously fires. There's put always out, but fires, there's, but yes, yeah, totally, absolutely. It's not like we we feel like the whole house isn't going to burn down. Totally, yeah, that's <laughs> badass. Yeah. That is so cool. Thank what you. an inspiration! And I think like you know, I I'd love you go back to those banks and say, hey, remember what I told you I was going to do. 
Yeah. Boom. No, it feels, and it's, it also feels, it does feel kind of like a miracle because, you know, you we wrote the business plan to raise the money and, you know, like you're pitching everybody and you're like, I believe I can do it. But then you're like, can, can I? I? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, now here we are, like fast forward. It's like, wow, you know, we, we did, we did hit those milestones. Like, like yeah. the plan, the plan is working, you know, the That's, way that we said it would. It's so and rare it in, so good. in any sector of business uh, to, to do and you and the team deserve all the, all the credit. Yeah, especially the team, you know what I mean? Because that's like the execution happens, you know, the execution happens there. Mm -hmm. Um, You're active with the Vermont Outdoor Business Alliance Mm -hmm. still, right? VOBA, Mm -hmm. yeah. Why is that important for Vermont and and in particular Bolton? Well, I mean, you know, like like I mentioned, you know, coming from, you know, background in, in policy work, I just, I... It's so easy to feel like what happens in Montpelier, you know, is disconnected from what's happening on the ground in your own tiny microcosm. But obviously there are repercussions. Um, The decisions that they make there have real life implications for us. We have to live with those decisions and we have to navigate them and they become, you know, sort of like they define how we how we how we can run our businesses and what we can do. And so. that's why it's important. You know, it's important to, to try to stay connected to those conversations to, to the extent that you can. And I will say it's much harder from where I sit now to stay connected than I thought when I was the lobbyist. I was the lobbyist who was like working with business owners and being like, you know, working with them on issues. And I I definitely will say like I I know so much less from where I sit now <laughs> than I thought I would <laughs> because um, it's actually really hard to follow what goes on in Montpelier, and you can't follow it if you're busy running a business. So you need organizations who, you know, have a sense of what, what you care about so they can say, oh, fl- so they can flag when flag things are it, happening yeah. so that they can say, okay, this is the moment where you need to pay attention because you you simply can't. Um, you, you just, at least I can't. I mean, I don't have the bandwidth. Um and it's very hard to imagine anybody could. So you've got to have organizations who are, you know, keeping an eye out for you, letting you know when it's time to engage, giving you the information, you know, telling you, come in and testify. You need to be, you need that assistance um, or you'll miss it, you know. Yeah. And even with that assistance, it's hard to engage. I got to tell you, it's hard, way harder than I thought. <laughs> I mean, that's an ins- that's a pretty crazy career shift. Like just your day-to-day must be so different. Have you had any, I know you engage with a lot of like other women business leaders in the state. Like, have you had any like mentors as you're going through this process that have really helped you sort of be a, a voice of reason or run stuff by or sort of encourage you to keep moving? Um, I mean, I don't have one specific mentor. Um, I think it would be cooler if I did, but I don't. <laughs> we'll just cut this whole part out. <laughs> yes, that was a, yes, I you picked it. up the reference. Um no, I don't have one particular mentor, but you're right that I have a really great community of um, other business owners or business leaders that I'm friends with, um, women and men. Um, and I'm somebody who is comfortable asking for advice or reaching out or utilizing that network. And that was a part of the reason why I felt like I could make the shift into this role, even though it was such a new territory for me, because you know, one of the things that I know about myself is, and one of the reasons why I feel confident I can navigate through new challenges is because I'm comfortable 
you know, reaching out to other people and leaning on people and I'm comfortable not knowing things and asking for help to get up to speed. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I was comfortable doing that with my staff when I first got there, when they knew way more than I did. And um, I'm comfortable reaching out to friends. And I and I make an effort to sit, you know, to to be a part of different groups, you know, like whether it's, you know, the Hula community or, you know, I'm part of this women's CEO network or, you know, whatever the different groups or opportunities that I have, I do, I do take, I, I invest my time in those places because um, those relationships are really valuable to me. You know, whether I'm doing a capital raise and I'm networking for that or whether I have a question about whatever, you know, it's, I always have people I can call. So not one specific mentor, but a lot of reliance on, on the people that I know. That's great. It's great to have that uh, fearlessness and humility and curiosity to, to just ask, how'd you do it? Yeah. How'd you face it, right? Or whether it's a business roundtable gathering exactly. or something like that. Yeah. And also, how empowering for your staff to have you come to them and say, you know more about this than I do. Like, tell me what's going on. Like, I think that's just a sign of such a great leader as well. I, I definitely appreciate that. I will just, you know, I will also just say, again, to go back to the complexity of Iscaria, like you'd be crazy to think you you knew yeah. more than your staff. Right. Like you definitely can't know. You mean you have to be like an engineer, a mathematician, an well, accountant, a I do think chef. I mean, it's like, no, yeah. you definitely don't know. I do <laughs> think can't. though, like sometimes <laughs> leaders make decisions in that, like without thinking through how it impacts their right. staff, right? So like, you know, I would say don't take that for granted because there are people out there who right. don't think that way. And that's, right. it's so obvious why you're a good leader with when you say that. Well, thank you. Okay, I'll take it. No, <laughs> take what yeah, you can I, get, you know? Yeah, I make ill-informed decisions every day I shouldn't. And I, well, me too. I, I'm working on that one. Be oh, like, you guys. Oh, I don't know what I don't know. So let's go find yeah, someone that Yeah, hey, might. have you screwed up? I was just going to say, can we get yeah. into that? What's a big that's what I was just about to say when you said that. It's like, I cannot tell you how many mistakes I make. Like, some bigger mistakes and some on like a day where I just ruin everyone's day. <laughs> I and I don't mean to. You know, I'm trying to do and then I have to apologize. And then like they like, like You're like, please come back to I work tomorrow. Apo- I I mean I do. I apologize. I try to own it and apologize it. But you know, yeah, I totally I make a lot of mistakes. And then it's and then when we have people who move up into you know, management positions, because like we do have a lot of upward mobility and we recruit from within at every possible opportunity. Um, you know, one of the things that I try to say to people, because like if you're coming from like the like the staff, then you're mad at us, you yeah. know, when we make mistakes, which we definitely do. And um, so like one of the things I say is like it's, you know, you're just going to have to be patient with yourself because like, y- like you are going to be the one who's making mistakes. You're going to be ruining people's days and you don't mean to. So try to... Like, don't let it get you down and apologize. Try to learn from it. And then you've got to let it go. You can't, you can't like blame yourself, you know? And again, and sometimes that lesson is harder when you've like done things like wasted money by accident. You know, yeah. like that can hurt for yeah. sure. But I, I try to just acknowledge that I'm not alone. Everybody's making mistakes, not just me. <laughs> totally. But owning your own makes other people feel comfortable in doing the same. And yeah. that's a really healthy culture. Well, one of the things when we hired our director of sales and marketing, um, Scott Pellegrini, who Scott. Yeah, you know Scott well, Scott. he used to work Scott. right out right over there. He's like, he's I he probably is like one sick of me saying this and two embarrassed by me saying this. 
but um, when he interviewed, you know, he was not in the ski industry. He came from a tech background. And one of the things that you guys say in tech, right, is fail fast. So he was talking, like, he, the, like he's just like Matt, poor Matt Barowitz's comment, like, stayed in my head forever. Like, it was during the interview. And I'm not from tech, so, like, I didn't know that phrase, you know. And he was like, well, in tech, we fail fast, whatever. In the interview, I was like, fail fast. Like, that's what we need. We need to fail You're fast hired. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, now, you know, that's, we just think about that. We try things. Right. You know, and, and because we're so small and, and independent, we can we can try things. And when they don't work, we just change, which also we're getting to the point now in our maturity, I think, where we need to, where we actually, we've tried a lot of things. We need to have, we need things to, we're settling more and that's more. important for the staff because failing fast all the time can be a little tiring. Exhausting. Yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. You know, you want to turn the failures into learnings. Exactly. Right? Or fail once. Yeah. And then you've learned and, and sort of either put structure around it or, or it. some sort of process um so we're kind of like i'd like to think we're maturing into the sort of the you know beyond that but but initially that was definitely the approach because actually our whole management team most of us are not i mean you could say i'm born of the industry but then i wasn't in it you know for those 20 years so in a very real sense you know came from outside the industry and actually a lot of our leadership team is from outside the industry so you know i think that's fun i think that's fresh and um, and so that fail fast mentality in the early years was really a good way to think about it. It's great. Well, I'm gearing up for a, I want to ride along as a, as a snow groomer sometime. Like awesome. I think I would buy that ticket. Good. Oh. Okay. Boom. I think, um, Make it absurdly I won't touch anything. Expensive. I won't touch anything that's got like, you know, motors <laughs> or lights on it, but just, uh, you know, a little grateful dead tape and just sort of hang out. It's actually pretty cool riding in the groomer after a big snowstorm. Uh, um, like pushing that big. Oh, it's pile gonna of be snow. just really magical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's something there. Um, how can listeners um, support Bolton Valley and what you're doing? Because it is so important. We all look at it. I see the lights on when I go home in the wintertime. Yeah. It's really neat. Like yeah. we can buy tickets. We can show up. Are there summer things that folks mm. should know about? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, if you've got a wedding coming up, you can look at that or an event. If you're a corporate business, we've got, you know, we put we expanded the Timberline Lodge, which is so good for corporate events now. If you haven't seen it, it's truly a beautiful and functional venue. It's we really come awesome. By. Um, so, you know, if you've got group events, consider Bolton Valley. We've got the hotel there. We can do everything. Um We've got the mountain bike park, so yeah. you've got to check that out. Disc golf, um, skate too, park right? too. Do you have skateboard. Yep, stuff? there's indoor skateboard. Yep. Yep. yep, an indoor skate park. Um, the mountain biking is we. Our reputation was so gnarly, but we have completely eased the whole thing. We worked with Gravity Logic, literally world class, best in the world trail designers. Built Whistler, built Killington, you know all the best parks that you can think of. So we have a world class mountain bike park. Everything from the absolute green beginner trail, full rental fleet, lessons. It's basically a mimic of winter. Sam, so. Sam likes to chuck it off the big ones. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> we, we had a staff mountain bike day last year. Didn't years go ago. great. It was. Oh, uh, no. oh well, gosh. It was, it was awesome. I, yeah. I felt like I was biking uphill at traps for about six miles, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, you, at Bolton Valley, you can take the lift. You take the lift. Oh, that's true. You can take yeah. the chairlift. Yeah. So even better. Okay, great. Um, I'm in. All right, so, so yeah, we, we know, don't just, have to wait till the fall then to get up there and have some fun. Definitely which, not. Which and we've got know. and we've got music on the lawn through the summer in July and August yes. every Wednesday and Friday. So you come up, what? you mountain bike. Then before the mountain biking closes, because we run midweek till dusk, same concept with the after work. 
You come up, you ride with your friends, the music starts playing, your last list right up, you come down, you get a burger, you get a beer, you're hanging out, got music, it's everything you You've want. You've really right. figured it all I out. I need something to do on Wednesday. This is great. Um, Sam, we need to get to the, the magic wand. No, this time. literally, I feel like that was a 10 minute podcast. Yeah, it sorry. was not. <laughs> like we yammered we on. get too excited. All right, Lindsay. Final question magic wand. If you had a magic wand, superpowers. As Dave says, you could change one thing about Vermont instantly. About Vermont, the whole state, mm-hmm. not just as pertains to Bolton Valley? Yep. Oh, God. C- come down off the road for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be very selfish if you want it to be, you know? Right, right. Someone did want, was In-N-Out Burgers? It was purely selfish, right? Could it yeah. be a Bolton town exit? Totally. Ooh, there <laughs> <Wait>. you go. <laughs> we someone, need that. Did someone else say that? I wouldn't be surprised. It's the longest stretch of interstate without an exit. Yeah, it feels like it's an eternity. such a pain. Yeah. You miss your exit. And then, then you've got traffic in the two. I mean, we need it. The state yeah. needs it. No, I think someone wanted traffic lights on like Spear Street Extension or something. It was something Yeah, Dustin random. Glasgow had a had a traffic light thing. But Sorry, so the exit. Okay. That's your I magic wand? I, mean, I wish I had known I was going to ask for what I could change. If, a hard question. I mean, I love that answer. I do think I've heard it before, which is a good sign. That might be mm-hmm. that there's momentum there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we can have you back for a, another uh, catch up if you <laughs> okay. if you come up with more um, more Lindsay, options. Lindsay, so exciting, and congratulations on on taking Bolton into the future um, your way. And I I really uh, have a world of respect for that, and we wish you the best. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lindsay. This has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs and co-owners, a series supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. 